Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 160 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you and maybe your team lead like never before. Well, every once in a while, you get a chance to sit down with somebody that you have learned from for a long time. And I've got that opportunity on this episode to sit down with Henry Cloud. I have learned so much from him. I've read his books, some of his boundary books, his necessary ending books is just amazing. If you're in ministry, that should be on your top 10 list. And I've heard him speak at the Global Leadership Summit. He is a world expert, leading expert on leadership and spends most of his time in the corporate world, but also as a Christian, a real friend to those of us in the church as well. So whether you're a business leader, whether you are a church leader, or frankly, if you're just a human being, I think you're actually going to really, really love this episode. So honored to have Henry Cloud on. And uh, man, subscribers, you get this every week. Hey, did you notice uh, recently we did a bonus episode? Yep, we did. And subscribers get that. So if you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, uh, what's keeping you? I know I only listen to podcasts I subscribe to. And so if you haven't done that today, and maybe a friend sent you the link, or you just try to find it every week, just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would, leave us a rating and review. I mean, I love, I read every single review, so I would love to hear from you. And you can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. So a couple things I want to tell you about, all right? I want you to think about 2018 today, and I want you to think about where would you like to be in February? How would you like to be somewhere sunny? <laughs> I mean, normally I'm not a winter vacation guy, but I'll tell you, I'm going to be hanging out in Orange County, which is not bad if you've ever been there in February, uh, for something I'm really excited about being a part of, and that is the Pipeline leadership conference. It's Pipeline West, actually. I was at the very first Pipeline conference in Nashville in the fall of 2016, a phenomenal event. And the folks who put that on do a great job. And Pipeline West is a conference that focuses on what I think is probably one of the top issues that church leaders and frankly, leaders in general struggle with, which is where do you find your leaders? How do you develop your leaders? And so Pipeline West is unlike any other church leadership event because it provides hand-on training and application that you can actually implement immediately. So we're going to be in Orange County, California, February 22nd. I'm going to be there along with Tom Rayner and Albert Tate and a host of other leaders. Uh, so come and escape the cold. You've got super early bird pricing that lasts until October 31st. So that's February. But now I want you to think a little bit about uh, what you're doing next summer. We actually had Americans, did you know that, who came to the first ever Canadian Church Leaders Conference we held in the summer of 2017. Well, yesterday, registration opened for the 2018 Canadian Church Leaders Conference. You can get all the details at canadianchurchleadersconference.com. I got to tell you, I think next year is going to sell out quickly. Um, we've We're already like uh, probably over half sold out as you hear this podcast if you're listening to release day. And if you're a Canadian church leader who just wants to reach more people, or frankly, if you're a church leader who wants to reach more people, we're doing this gathering. We've opened up more seats this year because we sold out last year. And we have some amazing speakers coming in. Dr. Laura Buckingham from the East Coast. We have Shayla Visser from Alpha Canada and John Thompson from C4 Church in Toronto. Uh, super excited to have them. Plus the whole Connexus crew 
And uh, it, we've got the best pricing on right now. You can go to CanadianChurchLeadersConference.com, secure your spot today. And then finally, thanks to everybody who has checked out my new Breaking 200 Without Breaking You course, man. We are so committed to developing leaders here. If you haven't checked that out yet, go to Breaking200WithoutBreakingYou.com and try to get past that invisible barrier that almost, well, 85% of churches, the mass says, never get past. And why? It's not spiritual, it's structural. It's that you've just got to learn to lead at a different level. And so that's what that course can help you with. If you haven't checked it out yet, go check it out. Breaking 200 without breaking you.com. And now, uh, without further ado, here is a free ranging, fun, and super engaging conversation. Listen through to the end and uh, check out the show notes too, because I think you're going to love it. It's just kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 160. Here's my conversation with Henry Cloud. Well, such a thrill to have Henry Cloud on the podcast today. Henry, welcome. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, you work with a lot of business leaders and also a lot of pastors. I mean, so many of us have read your work. We've heard you speak at Global Leadership Summit and at all kinds of other venues. Um, but uh, I think you get a lot of insight into sort of the, the human spirit and the conditions of leaders in particular. What are some of the top issues you just keep seeing leaders struggle with today? And why are those the top issues in your view? Oh my gosh! If you talk about top, we're going to be here a while, right? <laughs> no, I got time. I got time. <laughs> well, let, let let me preface a little bit um, by putting it into context and help understand why those issues arise with the leaders I work with. Um, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, right? But when I went knocking on doors um, to in my first job, this was right out of graduate school, still in graduate school, actually. My first job was in a leadership consulting firm. Hmm. And so they, they, this was before like, you know, leadership coaching and executive coaches and all that stuff. But they, there, there were leaders that they were working with and developing, but they also found that, you know, a lot of times, I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Some people have leaders have issues, right? <laughs> I, I may have noticed that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> And so they, they wanted somebody with a clinical background, um, you know, to, to work on the, the individual issues that leaders were encountering. Um, so from day one in my, my work as a psychologist, I've always worked pretty much 90% in the context of leaders in, in their worlds, high level leaders, you know, CEOs and, and C-suite types and mm -hmm. both business and Christian organizations. And, when I got into that, Kerry, it was interesting. You know, you have this, if you put on the left-hand side of the board leadership and people study leadership and, you know, vision casting and strategy and execution and all that stuff that, you know, which is really, really important for people to learn and develop in. What happens is they get out there into this place called reality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. And the reality is you can get all the training and all of this stuff you, you can get and you have to, right? Yeah. There's science to leadership, but you get out there in reality and then you find out that, that, that our, you know, our individual makeup and our individual strengths, our individual woundedness, our individual weaknesses, all of that begins to interface with how we do leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I found out early on, that leadership isn't just about leadership. It's really about the person of the leader, 
how they're glued together, what hits their buttons, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And it's highly, highly interpersonal. Yeah. And, and the way that leaders have got to make things happen really has a lot to do with how they can, can get an army moving. And so I tend to work in that. I call it the middle space between where, you know, leaders and their personal and interpersonal stuff comes in, you know, together. And it, when you ask the question, what are the top issues? Yeah. I'd say um, there's there's two or three that I find myself seeing and working in just almost all the time. And, right. you know, if, you, if there's 10 things, there's, there's two or three you always see. One is that I see leaders hitting a wall or hitting a ceiling or struggling when they don't recognize, and everybody does this, I'm not pointing fingers, but they don't sure. recognize that they have built their organization and they're leading their organization or their team or whatever it is they're leading. They're leading it, they've kind of constructed it in their own image. Hmm. Yep. And, and what that means is, you know, when I think of leadership, the model that I I developed and, and use a lot in organizations is what whatever topic you're talking about leadership, it's a, it's always going to fall into, it's about these five buckets. I call them buckets. Okay. And, and basically, you know, I'm a psychologist. So I look at this thing the way that, that really the brain is organized. If, if, if you want a good model for leadership, go to God and say, okay, if you were going to build an organization, God, what would it look like? Hmm. Well, he's done that. Yes, he has. Yeah. So he builds this organization called the church. And he says this church has a head. And the head, you know, this organization is a body. But the head leads this thing. And when we look at what does a head actually do? Well, God built, he builds heads. And when you look at how our brain is constructed and what it does, you know, you, you always hear leadership being about moving something from here to there. Well, if I'm standing here and I'm standing on this side of the room and I figure, you know what, my life would be better if I stood over there. See, if yeah. it's said, my church would be better if if I had a vision of it being over there where, where we were doing this and that and it looked like this. That's the first thing the brain does. It comes up with a really clear vision. And I like to call that a desired future state. Sure. And after you get that vision then the second thing your brain does is realize I can't get there by myself. I got to engage the right talent. So the second piece is it's got, I'm going to need a couple of legs. I'm going to need an eye to focus or two. I'm going to need an inner ear to balance me. And it makes sure, and I can't emphasize this enough. It makes sure that it has the right competencies around it apart from itself. And there's a high focus on that second bucket of engaging the right talent. Then the third piece is, how are we going to get there? So it doesn't just start walking. It says, well, you know, I'm going to walk and I'm going to execute this plan where I'm going to take five steps in a certain amount of time. And we got a strategy and we got a specific plan. And then it starts to walk. And the fourth thing it does is it measures the things that are important and holds itself accountable. It starts to wander yeah. off. It, 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 and, it goes right into adapting and fixing what's off. So if you take that path of, 
of coming up with the future, what I want it to look like, number one. Number two, engaging the right talent. Number three, do I have a strategy and a plan? Number four, am I measuring and holding people accountable to the right things? Number five, am I fixing what I find when I hold people accountable? That's leadership. Hmm. So when you get to a leader and you find them and you want to do what I do, you know, you guys say, I got to come help you. Sometimes I go, dude, you know, <laughs> this is what leadership requires. Your organization has to have all five of these things all the time. Now, it just so happens that you're really good at defining the future. You're really good at, think, at thinking up, you know, what you want this place and the mission to look like. And you're pretty good at, at coming up with a strategy and a plan. But let's talk about this accountability bucket. That's kind of absent. And they, they go, I know, you know, you start to look at accountability and it turn, just so happens that they're not that great at accountability. They don't like to hold people accountable. They want to big, go big picture and strategy and, and you know, developing systems and, and, and accountability ways that their team holds each other accountable and making an immune system throughout the organization where, where accountability happens before it gets to them that's leadership and so so basically that that's one i see leaders kind of kind of you know not realizing that that your organization needs what you're not good at and so you got to make sure that all of those buckets are there and don't build it in your own image Hmm. and speaking of accountability you know and i'm talking about very big ministries you know very uh successful ones one of the things I see in in Christian organizations and and even large large churches that that I interact with is the church tends to get this um, culture that we're a ministry and we treat people well and all of this and if you bring if you bring performance standards and accountability into the picture, you're going to have somebody, somebody somewhere. Everybody, every pastor's heard somebody say this. Well, wait, this isn't a business. This is a ministry. Yep. And basically what they're saying is when you start holding people accountable, you know, and having performance standards, then that's not how we treat people around here because we're a ministry. And, you know, you go to the New Testament and it is a performance standard, just manual. I mean, there's pruning that happens when people aren't fruitful. There's, mm. there's necessary endings that occur when, you know, somebody's got to be pruned and Paul says reject a divisive person after a second warning. There's, there's, all of this, you know, where the parable of the talents, where you invest something, you demand a return. And so one of the things I find with ministry leaders is getting them to realize that that requiring performance out of every position is a stewardship issue and being letting this stuff and people just kind of not perform is not good for them. It's not good for the organization. It's not good stewardship and you're not going to reach your vision. See, that's fascinating because I mean, any podcast listener who listens to more than a few episodes or people who read my writings, whether that's blog or books, I mean, 
I hear what you just said as pushback every week from people who are like, the church is not a business. You can't do that. And they do just the opposite. They go to the Bible because I don't think we're very good at accountability in the church. And they say, look at Jesus. He spent time with everybody. He hung out with everybody. It's all love. It's all good. What do you say to that? Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa. You just changed buckets on me. Okay. Remember I said, I said the second bucket was engaging the talent. Right. And so staying connected to people, you know, fueling them, developing them. He said, make disciples. These are, you know, you're forming, you're forming people. It, it, but, but that doesn't mean we sit around in a hot tub and just eat crackers and sing. <laughs> so very, 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 very big part of formation of people is this accountability performance standards, you know, to, to, to want somebody to get better. I mean, even on the people front, if you go to, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to second Peter one, for example, it's talking about developing leaders to be fruitful. It says, if these qualities are present in you and increasing over time, you'll be productive and you won't be fruitless. And the only way to get to where you're going is requiring increase, requiring for people to to improve, requiring for them to perform, requiring for them to get better. That's that's has nothing to do with Jesus spending time with people. Every time he spent somebody spent time with people, he was pushing them to get better. What are they talking yeah. about? Why do you think we struggle with this so much in the church? Because I agree, accountability can be a big issue. That whole development, you know, side that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who would suggest just be faithful. Don't worry about the fruit. I've heard that argument before. You really have heard that fruit? I really, I can take you to comments on my blog. I can take you to my inbox. I've heard people say that. They they say it's a business model that that gets superimposed on the church. Well, they're just, they, they need to read their Bibles. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, mean, this, I love this, it. This just drives me crazy. I remember one time, look, look, I, I'll give you a great example of this. Large uh-huh. Christian organization, and and I was working with this this uh, particular uh, part of it, and this guy, this this one guy said to me, he said, you know, well, I just need a more grace oriented leader. You know, my my leader's too legalistic. Yeah, and I said, well, that's terrible. You don't want a legalist as a, le- a leader. He says, yeah, the guy's just you know, what he does is he, he wants me to every week. He wants me to turn in how many evangelistic contacts I had the week before. And he's got a certain number he wants me to have every week. He said, I just can't work under that kind of legalism. I said, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did, did he tell you that you were going to go to hell if you didn't get these evangelistic numbers done? And he said, well, no, he didn't tell me I'd go to hell. He's just requiring all these numbers and stuff. I said, well, legalism is if he told you your standing in God depends on how many you do. I said, this other thing you're talking about where he requires you to hit some number, that's called a job. (laughs) (laughs) That's not legalism. (laughs) That's are you kidding me? And I mean, you can't read the New Testament. You cannot read the New Testament without this this seeing that that God you know, I, I talk a lot about a leader's wake okay. and a wake 
because I'm a boater. And I think right, a, me too. when a boat goes across a lake, it leaves a wake behind it. Or across the ocean, it leaves a wake mm-hmm. behind it. You can tell a lot about that boat by looking at the wake. You know, is it straight? Is it headed towards one heading? Is Or is it curving all over the place? Is it too deep or too shallow? You look at the wake, you can tell a lot about the boat. Well, a leader, you can tell a lot about a leader by their wake. And this is always, you tell your leaders, you know, look, I don't, I know you got your own ways of thinking how you're evaluated, but this is reality. You're getting evaluated on two things. The wake, the two sides of the wake are this. Number one is results. And I don't mean in priority, but no, results and the relationships. Yep. If you have strong relationships, but you guys aren't getting anywhere, those relationships are going to go south and it's not going to be a good culture. It's not growing. You know, there's not life there. But if you have strong results and you're killing everybody in the process, the results out of the wake is strong, but the relationship and the culture is not strong. That's going to kill those results eventually. And people don't want to be there. And 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 the Bible always and, and I think of this in terms of of you'll, you'll always whenever you read the scriptures, you're going to see two parallel tracks. And there's a lot of different words for this, but it has to do with who God is. God has a relational track. You know, you hear like like the two tracks, grace and truth. For example, mm-hmm. mercy and righteousness, you know, compassionate and holiness. And and these two tracks of you've got God's grace and you also have his truth that that he's loving and relationally. But there are expectations and there's structure and there's standards to how we build and how we love and how we work. And so if anybody thinks they can bail out on one of those tracks, then they're not reading the Bible and they're not. So, you know, they're not really studying business. See that that's what's interesting to me, Carrie, you know, the biggest percentage of my work, probably, you know, 80 to 90% is with, with businesses and and companies. And, and this, you, you ask about the big issues. And one of the other issues I see is that sometimes ministry leaders don't recognize that secular companies do a lot more, a lot more in focusing on developing their leaders. Mm-hmm. And Christian ministries, a lot of times, not all Christian ministries, but some right. and many, they want their leaders to just serve others. You know, they're supposed to be output all the time and you're not going to get the ability to hold people to really great results if you're also not pouring into them and developing them. I think that's a really good insight. I mean, there's so much already. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, just a quick editorial on what you've said so far, I think results and relationship. What I tend to see is the polarization of that thinking in the church where people are all relationship or all results, and it creates a a reaction in the other direction. But I think you're right about both of them. Why do you think churches are hesitant to develop their leaders? I mean, you're a frequent speaker at the Global Leadership Summit, which I'm sure almost everyone's familiar with, if not have been there at one point or another. Um, but that's probably not enough, is it? Just to you know, spend two days in Chicago or at a satellite site. 
Why do you think churches are reluctant to develop leaders and people properly? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think, you know, there we also forget that, you know, we make the difference between the business and the ministry. In the business world, you don't have some of the 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 Christian stuff that infiltrates the the culture and the thinking. And I say Christian in sure. in quotations. Okay. I don't mean I don't mean biblical. I mean some of the things some of the some of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for example, you know, Jesus referred to it as, it's the traditions of the elders, not the oracles of God. Right. And some of that thinking gets in there. And one of the, what, one of those ways of thinking that gets into this is there is, there's a lot of Christians that, that think that, that, that everything is about, you know, it's, it's dying to self, it's serving, it, it's, you know, giving all of the things that, that we're making sacrifices, right? We're giving mm-hmm. and it's not about, it's not about us. And so right. what they'll do is that thinking gets into the way that they lead and they'll have a little reluctance to take some big part of the budget. I don't mean big in terms of over 50%, but I mean, a significant part of their budget and spend it on and budget. I mean, time and energy and money, but spend mm-hmm. it on developing their leaders. Cause sometimes it thinks, well, that's money that's going away from the ministry. Right. Or that's time developing us. You know, that's when we're not serving. And it's sort of like, it's sort of like I'm supposed to be, you know, volunteering all around the clock. And if I go work on myself, I'm being selfish. And, and that that's kind nice. of, that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking gets in there to where they don't realize that the only, only, only way that you are going to get, you know, better and you're going to grow and you're going to be fruitful if you're t- is if you're tending the vine, you know, if you're tending the garden. And so sometimes I think some people are reluctant to focus on leadership because it takes, quote, time away from the ministry Mm -hmm. and it's not time away from the ministry. It's one of the most important things that leaders do is develop their army and, Mm -hmm. and build in competencies and all of that. And I think that's part of it. And also Carrie, I think part of it is, you know, pastors and Christian leaders and business leaders as well, they get good at something. Maybe it's evangelism. Right. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's it's outreach. Maybe it's children's ministry. Maybe it's youth ministry. They get good at something. When you're good at something, then what happens is they ask you to start, you know, doing more, and then you do more, and now right. they charge. Well, you were trained and developed for what you're good at. You're trained and developed to do evangelism or youth ministry or preach or whatever. But now you find yourself with two jobs. You're also a leader. Hmm. And people don't treat leadership sometimes realizing that their leadership is is what is going to make their youth ministry work or not work. Yeah. And they don't realize that takes as much training and development 
as this other thing you do really well. And, and I just add one more thing that a lot of times they've grown up in systems that didn't do it. So they don't really have a model for it. They, they don't really know what should I be doing with my leaders? You know, what am I supposed to develop them on? And, and the, the content world of what they've got to be focusing on sometimes really isn't in their repertoire. Hmm. Now, I think I couldn't agree more. I think you're totally right. Do you is there a number like let's just talk about budget, for example. And I know this comes up around a lot of boardrooms uh, at church world and they're like, how much for this retreat or what is registration or can we really afford to rent a bus, fly people down? You know, this is the so if you were just like broad strokes on a budget just as a percentage. So it kind of works. Knowing that small churches, it's going to be a greater sacrifice than if you're a $10 million or $2 million church. But like, I know companies often will spend 10% on R&D. What is there? Is there a benchmark that you're like, yeah, you should be at least looking at this? You know, I, I probably wouldn't be the person to ask about a church budget, but I, I, I would say it this way, that that I would look at the place where they get into, into trouble yeah. is they do exactly what you just said. Well, how much is this conference or how much is this send them on this retreat? Don't do it that way. Go back to the beginning and say, okay, here's our church budget, right? Here's mm-hmm. what call it a million, five million, 10 million, 150 million, whatever it is. Now, what are we going to set aside as a line item for leadership development? And you come up with that, um, you come up with that number. Then it's a separate meeting to sit down and say, how are we going to spend that number? That way, when that retreat brochure comes in, you look, you're, you're going, okay, well, you know, let's say that we decide we have a hundred thousand dollars this year to spend on leadership development with our people is this is this particular going to this leadership summit or this retreat or this is that is that going to get us you know is that how we want to spend a big portion of that i've got companies for example that one of my clients spends 100 million dollars a year on leadership development wow only wow. On, only on their internal leadership coaching people and and you know, they're, they grow at about 20% a year. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's an investment. It's not an expense if you do it right. It's not an expense. It's an investment. I remember one time, uh, well, it wasn't one time, it was over a number of years and we did it about Bill Hybels and I would do this, this pastor's leadership, um, mentoring one night and one day we'd take them in the evening before and spend all day with them up on Lake Michigan. And we bring in 25 at a time pastors. Yeah. And the first night we, we would have this dinner and we, we, we'd ask them to go around the table and say, kind of, why are you here? And you would hear, you know, everything from, from burnout to, you know, I've hit a ceiling to how do I cope with this growth is explode all the issues. Mm-hmm. So what I started doing early on was I, I gave them all, an assessment, a questionnaire, because I wanted to find out what this population of pastors looked like. And there were a lot of things I asked them on that so we could address the issues better. 
And one of the questions was, where do you go? Do you have a place where you can go that is just dedicated to your your growth and your health and you can be 100% transparent, 100% confidential, where you can really, really unpack it and everything you're dealing with in your leadership. And somewhere between 70 and 80% of those pastors said, I don't have a place like that. The second, second question on that, on that axis was this, where do you go that, and what process is there or whatever it is that's 100% dedicated to your leadership development, to your getting better? 78% of them said, I don't have anything like that. Now, the third question was the killer, but here's the reveal, is they said, when I asked them, how many of you would say in the last two years you've had something that would qualify as clinical proportions like burnout or stress or you know, a problem with uh, somebody on your team or is, is it, guess what the number was? Seven, eight, eight. <laughs> there may be a correlation there. You think <laughs> there may be a correlation and, and, you know, in my work with CEOs, it's, it's, it's just talk about correlations, the highest performers, the highest performers, the ones that build the most successful things, Christian and, 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 you know, business or whatever, the highest performers are the ones that have the biggest time and energy and resources investment in their own development as a leader and the development of their people. And wow. it's just, it's always like that. It's always like that. It's always like that. And that's all I can say. It's oh, always- man. Uh, that is so good. And just to, to, you know, give a very practical example, because we have small church, you know, it's like, I'd love to have a $150 million budget. But, you know, Henry, when my wife and I came up to Oro, I came up for $19,000 a year. So that gives you an idea that I'm not exactly, you know, I'm not flying all over the world developing myself. But I heard right. about this conference that was happening in North Carolina. Our churches were still small at the time, maybe 150 people at this time. So I'm going to say a budget of 100000 120000 like not a ton of money. And we didn't have the money to fly to this event. It was going to cost four or $5,000. The church, it was the biggest single investment they had ever made in someone's continuing education. I said, I would like to go with my wife. Went to the board. They paid for our entire trip. And we went down there and it changed the trajectory of my ministry. I mean, that's where all these promptings I had got language around them. James Emery White hosted it. He's been on this podcast before and uh, turned the world around. That was just four or $5,000. I mean, now we're a $2 million church and, you know, da, 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 da. I don't know where we'd be without that investment. And it was big at the time, but, you know, it's, it's that kind of scale. That was maybe 3% of our budget changed everything. It was huge. Yeah. You are exactly, exactly right. It's, it's like, it's like if you take Michael Phelps, you know, yeah. how many medals did he win? And you say, you know, you could have saved some money on that coach. <laughs> churches think that way, if, don't they? Yeah. If you go to the leadership summit, the global leadership summit at Willow or any, but, but they, they do it really well in terms of they will always showcase some stories of some little church or some business person 
mm-hmm. or somebody that was it you know they were producing fruit at some certain level they came to the summit they heard this one message that changed everything and they went back and they took over an entire community because of that little investment one weekend and 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 Carrie we're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars or millions oh. of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars but let, I'm, I just want to like get rid of that excuse for a second. I'm glad. You know, one of my missions in life is to get rid of broke thinking in the church. So you just helped a lot with that. Thanks, Henry. I appreciate that. It's just, let, let, it's a well, mindset. Hang on. Let's go after it. All right. Let's okay. say somebody, you know, their their whole budget is $150,000 for the year for the whole church. Yep. All right. So here's what we know about how leaders develop. That it's going to take four things. I always talk about four things. Information. You can't do something better or different without learning some principles. Number two, it's going to take relationships. We only get better in the context of somebody that's pushing us, coaching us, you know, moving each other, supporting, modeling things, all of that. Number three, I've got to have new experiences to get me kind of like doing new stuff. I got to step out of my comfort zone. I got to go, you know, ride around with somebody and see how they do it. And I've got to go try this. I got to go share my faith on the beach and I got to, you know, whatever it is. And then the fourth thing is I've got to structure that path of growth. So let's take the budget. Come on. You got a $150,000 budget. You can take your leadership team. Number one information. You can take your leadership team and every week, you can assign a podcast to them, somebody you like. Every week, you can tell them, listen to this podcast, and we're going to, next week, here comes the structure. Next week, we're going to get together at, for 15 minutes or 30 minutes at a lunch or after our meeting, and we're going to discuss what you learned or what the big principle was in there. And then, number three, we're going to, let's just get a buddy system. And to you know, we'll pair up and over the next week, talk to each other about how you're implementing that, getting the experience implementing that, and then we'll review it. Okay, I just spent no money. Yep. But <laughs> but I was a steward of leadership if I'm a pastor doing that. Right. Now money is never the issue. It's never the issue. Because it's just like, you know, somebody looks at some celebrity's diet, right? And they get their book and they realize how much it would cost to go buy all this kale and organic. I don't have the money to lose weight. Oh, come on. You can you can get a buddy. You can go to the park. You know, sort of like the guy said, you know, don't tell me obesity runs in your family. Nobody runs in your family. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's. It's it's not about the money. It's about getting new information, putting it into a relational context, getting experiences and trying it and stretching yourself and putting a structure to that. That's free. You can go to the YMCA and do it at a course, you know, a yeah. class. So it's uh, not. That's so good. Well, you know what? While I got you, I've got to talk to you. Probably the the I've heard so many things that have helped me. I mean, all your boundaries books and. I read Boundaries with Children too late, but it was still helpful in the teen years, Boundaries with Teens, but Necessary Endings. Wow. What a great book. 
And I remember there's a part in the book where you say you just hate categorizing people and things, but you can't avoid the fact that the world is divided into three kinds of people. Can you walk us through that? Because I think this is another area where we struggle as Christians and leaders sometimes when it comes to necessary endings. Well, it's one of the biggest issues that leaders, or really one of the biggest issues that people have, yeah. and but especially in leadership. And, and if you think about the title, necessary endings, those two words, it is necessary that certain things have to come to an end in order for me to get to the next level. And the Bible, the way the Bible talks about this process over and over and over and over is the metaphor of pruning. Mm. And, and pruning, basically for anything to grow, you know, there's got to be some stuff that gets cut away, sometimes even healthy stuff, right? Sometimes yeah. sick branches that aren't, aren't, aren't going to get well. And sometimes just dead stuff that's taking up room. So, so leaders begin to look at, okay, when I look at, when I look at my people and I see some people, you know, there's some people in here that, that are not performing. Everybody else is carrying their weight. They got to get better. I got to get them to get better. And they start to interact with these people getting to the three categories. There's three categories of those people that they're going to run into one group the Bible calls the wise. Mm -hmm. Wise people are not necessarily the smartest cookie in the room. They're not necessarily the most gifted, the most talented, although they may be. But a wise person basically is defined by this, that when the truth comes to them, when the light comes to them, they adapt themselves to the truth. Mm -hmm. You give them feedback and they go, oh, wow, that's that I do see I'm doing that. I didn't see that before. Thank you for telling me. And they, and they changed. They, yep. they use the feedback, correct a wise person, Proverbs says, and they'll become wiser still. And so what you do with these people we call wise is that's the people you give feedback. You do a performance review. You do, you know, you sell them, Hey, this was great. Why don't you try this and, and you know, make it better. And they go, Oh, that's good. You know, or I'll try that or, you know, they listen, they listen to feedback and they use it. And so what we do with them is we give them feedback. You know, we talk, we develop them, all of that. But that's wise people. They're good resources of what you give them. Mm -hmm. Group number two, there's some people you give them feedback and they don't adapt themselves to the truth. They want to adapt the truth to themselves. And that's called a fool. And so you say, well, you know, this this retreat, you know, let's let's look at how you how the retreat worked. And, you know, we didn't really didn't really get the, the people there. We thought we were going to get there. And they say, well, that, you know, that's because, you know, the people that print the bulletin, you know, they 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 they. And there's always an externalizing of the problem. It's nothing right. to do with and they need to do different. You say, you know, you spoke harshly to that person in that meeting. Well, that's because, you know, they're always they, 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 they. And, the, and, and it says, correct a wise person, they'll become wiser still, but correct a fool and they'll cast insults upon you. It says, in fact, it says, don't correct a fool. Hmm. They'll cast insults upon you. It says, 
if you correct a wise person, they'll be grateful and thank you. If you correct a fool, they'll hate you for it. And so what you get from this second group is something called defensiveness. And you get denial and defensiveness and minimalization and and externalization. The pro- basically, I like to say this. The problem is never in the room. You're talking to them, but the problem's never in the room. It's not their fault. Not my fault. It's not their fault. And there's and the see, wise people own things and fools disown things. Ooh. And so what leaders have to realize is you don't deal with these two people the same way. Because the wise people are listening and the fools or the mockers are not. And so I love love when the Bible says, you know. Don't don't confront a fool lest you incur insults upon yourself. Well, so basically it says, okay, stop talking to him. You know, because right. you're going to talk. You, you talked to him for three years about this problem. You're going to keep talking. But then it moves to see. There's great hope for fools. I'm like a fool's champion. I love to work with fools because there's there's great hope with them. You're just not going to fight that bacterial infection without an antibiotic. It's not hmm. going to get on its own a fool doesn't need more feedback they need a different conversation and the conversation goes like this you know you know how we talked about this problem with the you know getting things in on time or meeting deadlines or you know uh staying under budget or not doing this behavior or not interacting with people like well you know what i i don't want to talk about that i'm not going to talk about that anymore because when i i want to talk about something different we're going to change the conversation i want to talk about the fact that when i talk to you about problems it doesn't help Hmm. and i i'm done talking because talking isn't helping now what we need to talk about is that problem and i need for you to give me a way how can i make you aware of something where it will make a difference wow Tell, tell me how to do that is it the way i'm saying it is i don't say it often enough is it just Give me a way where I can make you aware of something and give you feedback or a change that needs to be made where it will actually make a difference. Okay. Now, very few people are going to say, well, you can't tell me anything that's going to make a difference. I mean, nobody's that stupid. So they'll they'll say, well, just tell me about it. Great. Okay. Now we got the method, right? We got the clear Mm -hmm. expectation. So then we ask the second question. Okay. So we're going to do that. We'll get together every Monday, you know, and kind of see how you're doing on this, or I'll give you the feedback that people give me or whatever, however you measure it. Now, here's my question. If I don't see some changes by this amount of time, or I don't see some activities that are showing you doing differently by this amount of time, then what shall we do? And don't don't tell me, remind you, because I've been doing that, okay? (laughs) So it's going to be, a day. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be, you're going to go see a coach. Is it going to be a day off without pay? Am I going to remove those responsibilities from you until you're ready for them and give them to somebody else? But basically with fools, you have to have consequences. It's the only thing that makes them begin to want to adapt to the truth. And then the third category is evil. Mm -hmm. Basically fools cause a lot of pain but they're not trying to, they're just trying to avoid responsibility or avoid changing. You know, an an addict can wreck a family, but they're not really trying to wreck the family. They're just trying to avoid responsibility. Evil person 
has destruction in their heart. It, it, they want to, they want to bring you down. They want to be divisive. They want to cause, you know, trouble. They want to advance their agenda. They want to hurt other people, take them down to get ahead. They have an intent. Yeah. And whereas you can really work with categories one and two, Bible is pretty clear. When you realize that you're in category three, you go into protection mode because now you're protecting the work, you're protecting the flock, you're protecting the ministry against somebody who's trying to bring it down. Paul says, reject a divisive person after a second warning. You know, I used to read that and and I go, well, where's the patience in that? Where's the long suffering? And then when when I really, you know, got deep into character study as a psychologist. And you realize that people that are divisive are people that have an intent. I mean, they're trying to yeah. trying to divide people and they're not listening. And the way that they're constructed and glued together is that when you do try to do something with them, they're just going to triangulate it and go to somebody else and make you bad. And it's a cancer. And so wow. now you reject them, you fire them then it's possible. I mean, evil people turn around, but you don't get them to be better by talking to them or trying to improve them. You, you protect, you form an immunity to your organization against their divisiveness, and that's use removal. So like you, I, we both have a lot of conversations with church leaders. I would suggest a lot of leaders listening right now, and it's the human condition, and I think like we talked about earlier, Faith maybe um, sometimes gets confusing on this. We got lots of fools and even a few evil people in our mind. We're not very good at addressing them, are we? And if you look at congregational dynamics or staff dynamics, I mean, it tends to be that you spend the majority, if you're not careful, of your time with fools and evil people. Can that easily happen to church leaders? And why do you think that is? And, And what would you say to leaders who are in that camp where they're like, I feel like all I do is meet with fools? Um, what, what would you say to them? It is a great, great question. And it is a leadership question. And I can tell you, I can, I can name the organizations. People recognize them. A few Christian organizations just in, you know, let's call it the last six months that, that this is what they called me about. Yeah. And they're, you know, very fruitful, very very strong, strong ministries. But what they said was, you know, we sit around here at this executive team level, at this leadership team level, and it's like we're dealing with the problem. People like, like, you know, it's like, and 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 it's just that problem. And so, here's the answer. In I say the answer, but this is yeah. the the eighty twenty rule. Look. You're a body, right? Mm-hmm. How many, Carrie? How many times in the last, you know, hour that we've been talking? How much time have you been focusing on the bacteria on your tongue? About zero percent of the time, uh, honestly. About zero percent of the time. Okay. So God built into the body an immune system. Right. That immune system operates at different levels. Okay, the very first one, the brain never even knows about. 
consciously, it's saliva. You take germs in all the time and way down the organizational chain, it's dealt with immediately. They talk about it. You go to Matthew 18, one person has one person not performing well, sinning against them or whatever it is. What does it say? They go to them in private and they discuss it. The saliva takes care of it. The brain never even is aware of it. Okay, so at the executive level of ministry, at the leadership level, have you taken your leadership responsibility to build an immune system throughout your organization so that I had this in my own my own company just today. Somebody sent me an email. They were so proud of one of their direct reports. They sent me the email trail. Somebody went to somebody else griping about something about, I won't go into the specifics, but just kind of a, you know, a, a, a system or a policy issue, you know, within the company. All right. That person wrote them back and said, look, you know, don't, we don't do that here. You know, we don't gripe about something that leadership is doing or something and, and gripe to somebody that can't do anything about it. And really, I, I want you to go talk to your boss about this. And I'm going to copy them on the email because this isn't what we do. So good. Okay. That's an immune system. Now that didn't just happen. Right. What we've done is making it a big part of the culture of developing people to be able to have those conversations. And so when you got somebody that comes to the leadership table, they say, just to inform you guys, you know, I've had Susie on this performance kind of standard thing for six months because of the way she was treating people and we finally had to let her go. And you know, everybody knows about it. And okay, so next item. <laughs> but you have a lot of churches and that that executive team level is going to be dealing with the Susie problem three levels down. And Susie's coworkers should have dealt with that before the boss. But in order to do that, You've got to be developing a culture of accountability with each other, of supporting each other, of how do I not live in my silo? How can I come over and help you? And it's about organizational organizational health. So if you find yourself dealing with problem people 80% of the time, you're not leading. You're just not leading. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like a parent. You got one kid that won't do their homework and the whole house is oriented around the screaming matches around that one kid. You've lost control. Yeah. You know, that's so good. And I think there's a lot of churches that would tell you that problem three levels down has been the board meeting for six months and it's just a sign of ill health. That's so good. And, and your stuff has been so, so helpful. I know we're almost out of time. Um, Got to ask you, personal rhythms and practices that keep you healthy. What's one or two things that kind of keep you pointed in the right direction over time? Because I think health is a habit as much as it is an intention. Uh, just real quick, one or two things that you're like, man, when I do this, I'm just a lot better than when I don't. One is that that I must every day, you know, just take the, the mm-hmm. small piece of it. I must every day be very, very conscious that I've got some white space, white space in my head to 
get quiet to, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into getting quiet, but you know, I've got to have, I've got, I really do have to talk to God and I got to spend some time. I got to spend some time in, in listening to what he says in his word. And I've got to spend some time just letting my brain not focus on anything. Now, sometimes that might mean reading something. Sometimes it might mean, it may mean hitting a bucket of balls, whatever, but it's everything we know. Here's what we know about the highest performers that they do one thing more than anybody else as a group sleep. I love it. It's true because just like the greatest weightlifters don't go to the gym and lift the same weight on the same muscle every single day. When you stretch it, it's got to have a, a rest period where it's able to use what that output to make itself stronger. Yeah. And so if you don't find a rhythm every day, and it doesn't have to be the same time, but if you're not measuring every day, every day, I must have the time that re replenishes me. That's a big one. And the second one, you know, just like that in priority is your brain is going to, and your soul, you know, you, let's just take your brain. It runs on three things. It runs on oxygen. So it's good to breathe. It runs on glucose. So you got to eat. But the third thing is it runs on relationship. Mm. And so the rhythms that are very, very important, very important for every year of life is every day in every season and every quarter in different dosages. But every day, am I connected to the right relationships? Do I at least touch base? Am I getting my process of somebody with whoever it is that I'm close to. And there are a few key relationships. I think that the daily rhythm of I'm in touch with them, that's, that's everything. Oh, that's so good. And I've become a sleep evangelist. I burned out 11 years ago and that's one thing I've guarded. And even this past summer spent a lot of time, what I call deep resting, like just even doing more rest than normal. And man, it's unbelievable what that produces in your life. That, it that is, is so good. And you, you just remind, I got to say one more thing about okay, it. And okay. And I just thought of it as a thought I had earlier and didn't say it. Um, but because we're talking about investing in rest mm. and investing in replenishment, it's that same word investment. And, and you were talking about how people don't invest in their own leadership development and see that as an investment and it's not selfish, but it's going to cause cause things to grow. And how you did that, and we took your whole thing to the next level. I was going to get, give you an example of this. Do you know where Google came from? No, no, I don't. Okay, so Larry Page, founder of Google, one of the two founders of Google. He was a graduate student in Michigan. He decided to invest in his leadership because he wanted to be a leader. He went to a leadership development camp. Okay. Okay. I didn't know this. Time away from studies, time away from what he was going to plan, time away from everything he's doing. Go went and invested in this leadership camp. One of the things that happened in that leadership camp is they developed and worked hard on changing his thinking in one way. 
they taught him this sentence and wanted him to apply it over and over and over. And here was the sentence. Develop a healthy re- disregard for the impossible. <laughs> and so he that was his leadership growth mantra. Every day he would say, I've got to disregard the impossible. So he started, you know, because we all do this. We think, how can I yeah. grow? How can I get 100 more people at this this thing or how could they go? Well, that's impossible. We don't have the resource. Oh, we can't do that. We don't have the time. So forget impossible. Okay. So he started developing that way of thinking through his leadership development camp, not maybe, I don't know, a few weeks after that, not long after that. One day he has this thought, what if I downloaded the entire internet and saved all the links Now, (laughs) at that time, there were no search engines. (laughs) No, no. And think of how many thoughts you could have. Well, well, you know, our server can't handle that. My, 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 my phone won't, I don't have enough RAM. You know, I don't even know where to find the link. You know, there's 8 million reasons why you can't do it. But he's going to disregard that it's impossible. Well, today, a 10-year-old can get any information they want about anything in three seconds because why? Because he went to work? No, because he went to leadership development. Wow. Develop a healthy disregard for the impossible. That's that's, right. um, <clears throat> that's incredible. Well, Henry, I know uh, our time's up. You've got a couple of church leader resources I would love for you to tell leaders about um, that you're coming out with. Yeah, there's there, there's two things I'm really excited about. You know, I get a calls or a call, I get calls all the time, like, you know, can you come speak at, at my church? And, um, you know, there's only so many dates we can do, right? So, but mm-hmm. wanted to be able to, we wanted to be able to have something for that request. And so what we did was, I, I do speak at a lot of, you know, large church events, and we started asking them, you know, when, and, and so like, I, for, for example, Gateway, I did a business outreach. They had 500 business leaders from, you know, from Dallas or, you know, some things at Willow or other places where they have some really good production equipment. Yeah. And so what we did was we took 50 of my sermons that I've preached in churches and outreach events or marriage events. We took, I think it's up to 50 now. And we curated them and put them in a library called Church on Demand. And a church can get this. And it's only, I think it's like a couple hundred bucks or something. And you get the whole library. And you can use it in the following ways. I I always tell pastors, look, show it or share it or steal it. And what I mean by that is, you know, most churches are having, you know, they're having sermons on the big screen. They're doing one one sermon from one location, having five other locations and satellites. And and so I'll just come into your church and I'll preach on all these topics or any of these topics or one of these topics or whatever. If you need to take a weekend off, you know, just play that sermon or you could play it for you know, Saturday outreach or a business outreach or, or whatever. So it's called church on demand. Okay. You go to drcloud.com and, and just, just put in church on demand. 
that's one of the resources. The, the other one is something called Leadership University. And what I did with that is all the stuff we're talking about today and, and other topics are leadership development that I do in, in organizations and with CEOs and, you know, companies and churches and, or Christian organizations. And, and same way, I couldn't be everywhere. So I decided, let's take a leadership development path and let's construct a highly interactive digital university where it's it's built in modules. There's one module each month where they take one of these concepts and and there I come in and it's a highly engaging. We did it like an Anthony Bourdain TV show. Whoa. It could be on your phone, it could be on your iPad, it could be on the computer, and you watch one concept a month. And then from that, it gives you assignments and interactive things that you can do with your team, with an accountability partner, with your coach, with your boss, with your direct report. And it actually moves you through a process over the course of a year. It's called Leadership University. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, if you go go to drcloud.com, it's all on there. And we'll link to all that in the show notes, including direct links. Henry, I just thank you so much. What I've, I've every time I hear from you, every time I listen to one of your talks or read a book, I just feel like I grow so much. And uh, and you know, there's something that just really, it's like you kind of know that as a leader, or or but you're you know, it just it just clarifies so much. And and often I've learned to do actually the opposite of what I thought I should do from you. So I just want to say. A big thank you for decades of pouring into leaders, uh, both in the church and in the business world. And uh, thanks for being a guest today. Well, I appreciate it. And I'll just say say this in closing. You know, um, I know there's a lot of pastors that listen to your podcast. And um, what you guys do, the men and women that are out there in the trenches every day and they're shepherding the flock. It is so hard, but it's so important and you're so appreciated. And just, you know, like Paul said, don't grow weary in doing in doing this work because it's so, so important. But make sure you focus on yourself. And if you're leading a business, the same thing. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then turn to the seat and you'll be able to help somebody next to you. If you if you're. If you're not able to breathe anymore, you're not going to be helpful to anybody else. Develop yourself. It's so important. So true. Henry, thank you. Okay. Talk to you next time. So rich and so true. And, you know, as a reluctant exerciser I, and, and who has used the genetic excuse, obesity doesn't run in your family. Nobody runs in your family. Man, that, <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. It's so true. And uh, owned, owned on that, owned on that. So I got to jump on my bike. I know a lot of you are cyclists, a lot of you listen at the gym. So thank you, Henry Cloud, for that. And uh, if you want more, you can go to the show notes at uh, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 160, or just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on blog, and you can use a little search window to uh, find this episode. And all the links, everything we talked about are in those show notes, as well as links to our friends at the Pipeline Conference. Please join me in California in February, and the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. Registration opened yesterday. You can register for those events. Book up your 2018 calendar soon. And here's here's why I'd recommend it. You know what'll happen? You're going to think about it in January. It'll either be sold out or you'll be like, oh, I got something on that week. If you do it now, you're booked. So that's 
February for uh, Pipeline West, and then June for the Canadian Church Leaders Conference. So check that out. Next week, a pretty raw and authentic conversation with Carlos Whitaker. I mean, this one this one went places. So Carlos actually engages, from a personal perspective, one of the big issues uh, just in life today, but also in leadership, and that is the devastating effect of porn on marriages. And I talked to him about that, what it did to his family, and he's so transparent. Here, here's an excerpt from next week's podcast. And he goes, Carlos. Let me tell you why you're going. And my dad always has mm-hmm. stories, right? And so I'm like, Dad, I only have 10 minutes left in the <laughs> car with you. With Heather, like, you know, make us fast. And he goes, no, no, listen. When I was in Panama preaching a revival, when I was in my 20s, and I'll go ahead and quit the accent now to, to not kill anybody here. But um, <laughs> but when I was in my 20s, I, I was I was in, in Panama. My, my, my dad's from Colón, Panama. And he said that a woman named Miss Ramirez got up during the first night of the revival, during the invitation, and came forward. And he said that... She came forward and he said, can I pray for you? And because, you know, he said she's been in in the church his entire life. Like he doesn't know why she would come down for an invitation. And she said, pastor, can you please pray that God cleans the cobwebs out of my life? And so Mm -hmm. my dad said, sure, like that, that's very poetic. I'll pray that. So he prayed that for the lady. The next night of the revival, she comes forward again and she asked, pastor, can you please pray harder that the Lord cleans the cobwebs out of my life, please. So my dad said he prayed it again. Then the last night of the revival, Carrie, this woman, Ms. Ramirez, gets up again, marches forward, and my dad's like, what in the world? She comes forward, and he's thinking, well, maybe tonight she's going to tell me that he's done it. And she asks again, can you pray that God cleans the cobwebs (laughs) out of my life? And my dad said, you know, that he looked her square in the eyes, and he said, no, I'm not praying that tonight. Tonight we pray he kills the spider. And, and, and I hear this as I'm pulling into the parking lot at onsite and he goes, Carlos, I've watched you for 30 some odd years of your life. Clean the cobwebs. You're an expert. You were there to kill the spider. I promise you that's going to be a powerful conversation and one, uh, you want to have, you probably, you know, a little PG 13 on that one. If you've got young ears listening, but you probably want your teenagers to listen to it. You probably definitely want any young adults, you know, to listen to it. It's just, it's so good. And, and Carlos, thanks for being so honest and authentic. So that's coming your way next week. And again, subscribers, you'll get it automatically uh, on your devices Tuesday morning, first thing, because that's when we drop a fresh episode every time. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for making this journey so rewarding. And in the meantime, we'll be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.